three-day weekend. Yeah? I had to work, so. I mean, that's what I call it. I know you guys probably don't call it that. You call it pontificating, right? Is that what you guys call it? So uh, we get kind of situated here. I was at Costco yesterday, and so, um, or was it yes, Friday? Friday we were at Costco, and um, there was a lady that worked for Costco. She was like working the lines, reminding all the guys that it was Valentine's Day on, on Saturday, right? So she looks at my basket, and I have a vacuum. What's wrong with that, right? And so, no, I didn't. I actually uh, had some food. But anyway, she's like, looks at it, and she's like, okay, next. Uh, <laughs> so she looked at me. I guess there's no hope for me. So anyway, hopefully you guys all. So I, I thought of this. For her, either, either, um, well, my hunch is, is that if she has a husband, her husband forgot at some point, and she's making sure that no one ever makes that fatal mistake again, right? So. Hey, uh, we're uh, closing out a series called Devoted Together, and today we're going to look at Go. And uh, through the weeks, we've been looking at the banners here, the, the kind of the titles. As we look at core values, we looked at connect, the importance of community group. Uh, we looked at grow spiritually, that it's our head, our heart, and our hands. It isn't, an, uh, it isn't about information, it's about transformation in our life. Um, we looked at give, how they were incredibly generous. In fact, I think it's in Acts chapter 7 speaks of the New Testament church, it says no one was in need, that everyone's needs were being met as they, as they shared and they, they served each other. And then last week we looked at serve, and I'm just going to do a quick little plug on that. Yeah, inside your bulletin area, but the, uh, what do we call these things? Programs. Um, you have uh, a blue sheet, and that has areas of service. If you were not here last week, or you didn't get a chance to drop it in the offering bag, in an area if you'd like to serve, you could fill that out and drop it in the offering bag at the end of the service. And then today, we're going to look at Go. And just as a little blurb, uh, a little plug here, next week we'll start a new series um, called Danger Zone. And uh, we're going to look at some areas that we kind of all struggle with. Next week, we're going to look at uh, an area that we, we all wrestle with. And uh, maybe you would probably think of someone else who is always like making bad mistakes, and yet they somehow justify and rationalize it. You know that? Like... There's like a, they're, they're, there's, there's a sense of uh, what they're doing is completely right. And so we're going to start on that. We're going to look at anger and bitterness and some areas that we all tend to wrestle with. All right, so good, good series to invite folks to. All right, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 15. And let me set the context of today's message. And we're going to jump into it. Jesus is speaking um, to primarily uh, the folks who are, he classifies as as uh, uh, tax collectors and sinners. And as I said before, uh, when they looked at kind of the, uh, the rung of people, tax collectors were the worst. They were like below sinners. So if you were like a sinner and, and you, know, you would be in the second rung, if you were a tax collector, you would be way down there, right? And so he's meeting with them, and they're all gathering around in verse 1. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all together, uh, and they were hearing him. So Jesus is, is beginning to teach, and he's going to begin to speak about them. So there's all these people on the fringe. There's all these people in the culture that's on the outside. In verse 2, it goes on and it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, right? What a great word. And that word means to criticize or to complain, and it has, actually has a bigger meaning too. It means to not just kind of like gripe amongst yourself, but actually go out and gripe amongst the group of people. 
And so here the religious leaders uh, of their day, the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were going out in the crowd, kind of stirring up the pot, complaining and griping and criticizing. And here's what they were griping at. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's what their complaint was. That Jesus had it in him to allow sinners and tax collectors to even be in his presence. That he was willing to do that. Now the word welcome, it actually is kind of a fun word. It means to accept or it means to look for. So it's even worse than that. Because what they're saying is, not only does he accept sinners and tax collectors, that guy actually looks for them. Now, I just want to pause and say, I am so grateful that he looks for sinners. Right? I am so glad that he accepts us, and that he pursues us, and we're going to get into that today. Verse 3, then Jesus tells this parable. So there's one parable with three stories or four stories embedded into it. So when guys speak, sometimes they'll speak about uh, the sheep or the coin or the sun. And it's all one parable. And there, in, in there is really three, four stories, uh, four par- parts of this parable that he, that he is illustrating. So here's what he's revealing to them. Look in your outline. Jesus is going to tell us, as he's going to tell them, how he sees people who are far from God. That's what this parable is all about. This parable, as they began to complain and gripe, was Jesus welcomes, he accepts, he pursues tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is going to tell a story, a parable, of how he views people who are far from God. And we'll look at that in a few moments at the end of the message. How he views them. Okay, and then he's going to go through and he's going to illustrate or use a metaphor and he's going to speak about the sheep. He's going to speak about the coin. He's going to speak about the lost son. And all of them are to give us a picture of how Jesus actually sees people in this world, you and me before we knew Jesus, how he sees them and he looks at them and they're griping and complaining. And so he's going to counter their argument and their complaint and he's going to paint a picture for them and he's going to use these metaphors number one in your outline jesus is going to use three metaphors to describe their condition the condition of a person who is far from god now let me just kind of say this real quick <clears throat> we don't call we we use the word the terminology in this church we use christ followers and i've shared with you before the reason why is because we live in a culture where everyone thinks they're a christian okay and yet their life doesn't manifest that And so we use Christ followers, and in this case, we're actually going to use a a part of a verse toward the tail end where we talk about people who are far from God, people who are disconnected, who are are outside, you know, kind of outside of where God would desire them to be. And so this is a picture of how he sees them. Letter A in your outline is he sees them as lost sheep, okay? He sees them as... As lost sheep. Now remember, he's answering the question, why do you eat? Why do you allow sinners and tax collectors to hang out with you? And so he's going to explain to them why he does that. Verse, uh, verse, 15, uh, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Now, the way that that sentence is set, is set up, it, it's, it's, it's a question in which Jesus asks, 
but he already knows the answer. The answer is none of us, okay? So in our culture today, I would say, which of you who has a million dollars is willing to lose it? Well, everyone in the room knows the answer to that. No one, right? And, th and this is what he's asking them. He's asking them in a way that he knows that the answer is none. Now, when we read it, we think, well, you got 100, you lose one. Oh, you're down one. What's the big deal, right? It's like losing a dollar out of $100. What's the big deal? Or $10, right? But, but in their culture, it was like, who's willing to lose a million bucks? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. So he says, suppose you have 100 sheep, you lose one of them. Does not he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? Verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And we're going to see what that means here in a moment. Verse 6. And he goes home and he calls all of his friends and his neighbors to get together. Rejoice for me. I found my lost sheep. And then they have a big party. Okay. And he says about heaven and rejoicing and all that other stuff. Now, when he uses the analogy that, that people who are far from God are sheep, that isn't a compliment. Okay. Sheep are not that bright. Okay. You agree with that? They're, they're actually dumb. And I know in my, in my house, my wife says, you can't say that word. You can't say dumb or you can't say stupid. So really, they're, she's not in here. They're dumb, stupid animals, all right? And I got my wife a vacuum for Valentine's Day, so. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, all right? So, so, so they're not very smart. Now, look with me in your outline. A person that Jesus is referring to, a person who is far from God, lacks spiritual understanding. Okay, not IQ, but lack spiritual understanding that causes them to be weak in character and in will. Okay, and we're going to get into a little bit of what that looks like. All right. Now, when you think about a sheep, you, you could train a dog, right? You could train a cat. I know, it's hard to believe, right? You could train a horse, right? Even once on amazing characters and animals, there was a lady that trained her husband. I was amazed. He got her a vacuum. <laughs> right? But no, I don't know. Maybe there is. Go home and Google. Train sheep. Maybe there is one out there. But, but, I, but they're, they're not really bright animals. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty stupid. They're not easy to train. In fact, Isaiah says in Isaiah 33, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Because the natural desire of a sheep is to just kind of wander. They got their head down. They're eating the grass. And they find themselves in kind of a difficult position, a difficult place. All they're doing is focusing on eating. They're not paying attention to what's going on. And so they're really just kind of wanderers. And they really need a lot of the uh, uh, guidance of the shepherd in their life. They're very dependent upon a shepherd. Now, here's what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion. And that word compassion means he was literally sick to his stomach. Okay, so as he looks at people who are far from God, he's literally moved with compassion. He's sick at his stomach as, as he looks at him, and he says, because they were harassed. That word harassed, it, it, means, it means fleeing, it means bruised, battered. In some cases, it means to be skinned alive. Okay, so as he looks at people who are distant from God, who are far off from God, they're literally being, literally being skinned alive, beaten up, and, and wounded. And then the word helpless means mortal wound. I mean, they're, they're in a place where they're just getting driven into the ground. And he says, 
as he looks at him, he says he, that he, he, he felt compassion, sick in his stomach because they were helpless, because they were har- harassed like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he views them. In verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. In verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That is, when Jesus looked at the harvest field, it wasn't an issue of are there hurting people? The issue was workers. But he looked at them, and they were just completely beaten up. Okay. Now, as I studied this, there's a guy by the name of W. w. Philip Keller, not the, not the Keller that some guys are reading now. This is an old book. And, and the book was The Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. And he has, this, he has a bunch of information about sheep, right? And so you read through it, as I joked in the first service, I learned a whole bunch of things about sheep that I probably will never, ever use in my entire life, but it was good information. But I came across something that kind of caught, and, and that is there's something called cast, okay? And it's an old English term. And, and I got a picture. Has anybody, I know we have somebody over here earlier that mentioned, has anybody, have you ever heard of a, the, the phrase cast for sheep? None? Okay, good. So I'm making this up, so just trust me. All right? So here's a picture of what it is. And so we got a picture, and it's, there you go. So what happens is their center of gravity, apparently, is not right. And so when they're eating, when they get finished, they lay down, and maybe the, 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 the ground's unlevel or whatever, and they roll over onto their back, and they can't get back up. Right? So today, guess where we're all going? Right? We're going to go tip some sheep, man. Right? So it, it even gets worse. This guy goes on and explains it. it. Is if they lay there, if the shepherd doesn't come and roll them back over, gases build up in their stomach. And they actually can die. They lose circulation in their legs. And they, they literally die. And so if you go home and Google it, there's actually YouTube videos of guys going out there. Bah, 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 and a guy roll over and like roll it back onto its belly and off it goes. So, you, you know, when you have nothing else to do because the Raiders aren't on, you could just go home and, and, uh, and, and do that, right? So, so they're not very bright. They can't defend themselves. It's like animals either fight or flight. Some of them do both. Sheep does ne- neither. You know, they're just kind of open to any attacks. And so they're very dependent upon the shepherd. And so when he uses that analogy, in those days, everyone was like, that's not very good. That's not something that we would embrace and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for comparing the outside folks who are far from God as sheep. Letter B is he sees them as lost coin, okay, a lost coin. And verse 8 goes on in, in Luke 15. He says, or suppose, again, that's the same phrase that he uses in verse 4, and the answer to that is none of us, okay? None of us are willing to lose one of our coins. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them, all right? Now, as we looked at that, when you make a coin, you make it for a purpose. And today, I mean, the same thing, when they make money, whether it be paper money or coin money, they make it for a purpose. You work for it, you receive it, you buy stuff, and it's for trade and so forth, right? And that's kind of the purpose. Now, if, if there is a million dollars buried in the bottom of the sea and a nickel bottom uh, buried in the bottom of the sea, how much is that worth to you? And which is worth more? And the answer is, they're worth the same and they're worth nothing. You want to know why? Because you don't have control over it. They're at the bottom of the ocean. 
right? So if you lose a coin, it loses its purpose. It has no purpose, has no value, and it has no purpose, all right? And and so as he talks about this in verse 8, and he says, suppose a woman... Uh, suppose a woman loses one of her silver coins and she has 10 and she loses one of them. All right. Now, scholars believe that what Jesus is referring to is like a wedding ring and it would be a, a band that the women would wear around their head. And when they got married, they would be given 10 coins and those coins would have a hole punched in the middle and then the name of the husband would be written on it and she would wear it as a sign of submission and a sign of loving her husband, and her husband would give it to her as a sign of his love and affection to her, all right? And so they would have this kind of this, you know, we would have wedding rings today. They would have this band that would be wrapped around their neck, and there would be 10 coins. Now, if a woman was unfaithful, they would remove one coin from the middle, and they would have nine. In the Bible, Seven is the perfect number. Ten is the complete number. And so by having nine, it would be a symbol that she is not complete because she's been unfaithful. She's disgraced her husband, right? But as well, it would also show that she she has lost her purpose or her wholeness in her life. And so when when Jesus speaks about this and then he says that she lights a lamp and she scours the house, she searches the house. The reason why is because even if she didn't have the affair, she would go out into the community and she would be a disgrace to everyone around her because she would have lost her purpose and she would have lost her value and it would have been a disgrace for everyone in her family and around her, right? And so as Jesus speaks about this, they would have completely got it. They would have completely understood that it isn't a matter of somebody who's just lost a coin And it's kind of like, what's the big deal? I mean, they would then have to go out into the community and live with the middle one missing. And everyone would recognize that there's only nine coins. She's not complete. She's not whole. All right. So in your outline, (coughs) Jesus, as he talks about the coin, he's speaking about a person, the person who's far, far from God lacks purpose. They've lost their value. They lost their purpose in life. They no longer have that. Okay, you tracking okay? All right, letter C is then he uses the analogy or the, the metaphor of the sun, all right, the sun. And he says, and he lost his son in verse uh, 11, goes on and it says, uh, Jesus continued. Now, this is a different way of setting up the, uh, the, the, the metaphor. The other two, he sets them up the same. Suppose a woman, suppose a, a person. And the answer to that is obviously no, it isn't. But he sets it up a little bit different and he says, Jesus continued and he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said uh, to his father, give me my share of the estate. Okay. Now, I know today in our tax things that you can do living trusts and living wills and all this different things. And if you have a boatload of money, they tell you to give a little bit away so you don't get taxed and all that stuff. In those days, that wasn't the case. The only time that you would get your inheritance is if your dad died. So when he comes to his father and he asks for his estate, he in essence is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want you dead. I want my share and I want you dead. I, I, don't, I don't want to fall under, uh, under your authority. I don't want your friendship. I don't want your fellowship. I don't want anything to do. Just give me what you got 
and I'm out of here. And he's wishing them, he's wishing his father dead. Okay. Now, if you pause for a moment and you think about that, it's pretty harsh, wouldn't you agree? But in today's world, people who are far from God, don't they do that? That they want God's green earth, they want God's rain, they want God's air. They, they want to use their gifts and talents and abilities in which God has entrusted into their life. But you know what they say? God, I don't want your authority in my life. You just give me what you got. I'll enjoy it and basically leave me alone. Right? And this is exactly what the son is doing. The son is going to his dad and he's saying, Dad, go ahead and give it to me. But I'm not going to follow un- under, under your authority. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Just gimme, 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 and out I go. So the father divides the property between his sons. In verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together uh, all that he had, and he set out for a distant country, and he squandered his, all of his inheritance. He squandered it on wild living. So he parties like, you know, it's 1999 and all that stuff and whatever that looked like back then. But anyway, he ends up blowing all the money that he has. In verse uh, 14, after he had spent everything there was, there was a severe famine. Okay, and you can just kind of circle that. We'll come back to that. In the whole country, and he, uh, and he being in great need. All right? So, as Jesus refers to this. Now, remember, he's painting a picture of what a person is who is far from God. And he's answering the question as to why he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And he sees them as a lost son who squandered the inheritance and they've left and they're out and they're on their own and they're doing their own thing. And a famine comes into the land. And it was Jesus' way of pointing this out. Regardless of how much money you have, how many friends you have, how important you think you are, all of us are going to experience a famine in our life. Either it will be something like we've experienced in 2008 where there literally is a, a depression that takes place in the United States, and many people lost houses and all that other stuff, or there will be a day where you will no longer have a breath to breathe or breath in your life or a heart that kicks. You will have a famine in your life. And at the end of the day, regardless of how high you can stack it and how many friends you have, when you take your last breath and your heart clicks for the last time, you have nobody to depend on. You have no resources to rely on. You have a famine in your land. And this is his way of saying all of us, regardless of how wealthy we are, how important we think we are, all of us are going to experience a time in our life where the only thing you have is him to rely on. There will be a famine in the land. And he says there's a severe uh, uh, famine that sweeps the land and he is in need in verse 15 so he went out and he hires himself uh, to a citizen and he gets the job to feed the pigs now he is a jewish young man speaking jesus is speaking to a jewish crowd of people to religious leaders to feed the pigs first of all jews don't if you don't know this jews don't see pigs as clean all right this would be like the worst job that you could ever even imagine a person could have. And for for a Jewish person to hear this story, it would have probably given them kind of the chills. You ever hear a story where you're just kind of like, ooh, 
That's kind of creepy. I mean, that's that it would have made the hair on the back of their neck stand up. That's how disgusting it would have been to think that a Jewish boy would have gone out to a place and been hired out to literally feed the pigs. And so here he experiences this famine in the land. He's demoted from the son of a noble person to a slave, right, in his life. There's despair all around him. There's a picture of hopelessness all around him in his life. He has nothing to rely on. He has nothing to trust in. It's all gone. It's all gone. Now, let me just kind of say this as as something for the area of sin in our life, and we'll look at this in the next series. Sin, (coughs) Sin will always take us farther than we want to go. Isn't that true? It's a slippery slope. And you know, it's so frustrating when you're talking to people and you're like, you know what? I know you think it's okay. And I know you think you could stop anytime you want. And I know you think you can. And it's the last one. And I promise, I know. But isn't it true that it's a slippery slope? And it's all downhill. And sin will always keep us there longer than we want to stay. Oh, no, I'm just going to look once. Right? And sin will always cost us more than we want to pay. Is it true? In many cases, it ruins lives and relationships and extended families because we're willing to do that. And this guy looks at, Jesus looks at the per- person who's far away and, and he sees them as just really a mess. In verse 16, he goes on and he says, this man, uh, this young man, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And there's a deeper meaning here than just physical hunger. When Jesus is speaking about this, he's speaking about a hunger that the pods, which represents the values of the world, the things of the world, that even the values and the things of this world will not satisfy your soul. You'll always want more. You'll always want bigger. You'll always want new. There's always something else that you'll want that you will never be spiritually fulfilled in your life. And as Jesus tells a story about the pods and the pigs are eating it, it it isn't an issue of a physical hunger. It's a spiritual hunger in his life that, that a person who's far from God will never experience the fulfillment that they desire, what God desires for them to have in your life. And so you see in your outline, a person who's far from God lacks fulfillment. So he sees them as weak in character He sees them as lacking purpose. He sees them as lacking fulfillment in their life. And as Jesus looks at people who are distant from God, who are far away, this is why he says, this is why I hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Because that's how I actually see them in in the life that they're in. Number two, in the the parable, we find that the metaphor teaches uh, uh, three things are pretty important about the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so number two in your outline, Jesus uses three metaphors to reveal the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? So let's have a little fun with this. Letter A is the seeking shepherd represents Jesus. Okay? The seeking shepherd represents Jesus in the parable. And you say, well, what is the nature of Jesus? Well, let's look at a couple passages here. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says this of himself. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Okay? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the nature of Jesus, in your outline, 
the nature of Jesus is to rescue. And he is portrayed in this parable as a person who goes out and rescues a sheep that got tipped over, that's cast, and he joyfully lifts up the sheep, puts them around his shoulders, and he takes them back. He rescues him. All right? So we sit here today and we kind of wonder, well, what's the nature of Jesus? The nature of Jesus in his earthly ministry and today as well is that he wants to empower us, the church, to rescue. And we'll see that at the end. Okay? Letter B is the seeking woman equals the Holy Spirit. The seeking woman equals the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. Does she not light a lamp, okay? A, a light or a lamp is a metaphor of the Holy Spirit. We use a theological term called um, illumination, okay? We're using the word reveal. But illumination means it's brought to light. It wakes you up. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every single one of us has had an appointment by the Holy Spirit who knocked on our door and said, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. You need to surrender your life. Okay? And as a believer, the Holy Spirit continues to minister to us. And he brings to light all things that Jesus taught and said. Right? So the, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus rescues the Holy Spirit in his seeking ministry as he goes and he reveals the truth. He sheds light on a world that is in desperate need of Christ. And so you see in your outline, the nature of the Holy Spirit is to reveal. John chapter seven, uh, 16, verse 7 says this, But I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, uh, It is uh, for your good that I'm going away, so he's going to depart from the earth. And he says, Unless I go away, the counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you. So Jesus is going to be uh, going to be taken out of here. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to come to this earth. Okay, And he goes on and explains why. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes to you, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regards to sin. Right? That may be actually in there twice. It shouldn't be there. But um, so he's going to go and he's going to the Holy Spirit is going to Jesus is going to go. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reveal to the world the need of a personal relationship for, with Jesus Christ. And he goes on because men do not believe in me. All right. So the, the, the woman represents Christ. She turns on the light. She sweeps the house. She's seeking. She's seeking to reveal uh, the truth. Then letter C in your outline is the seeking father equals God. Okay? Equals God. And his nature, the father's nature, is to receive. Okay? So the son rescues, the Holy Spirit reveals, and the father receives. And look with me in verse 17, and we'll see that. Go ahead, turn the page. You there? Come on, man, there's only four pages. When he, when he, come, when he, comes, uh, when he comes to the senses, speaking of his son, when he comes to the senses, um, he says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I'm starving to death. So he's looking back, he's recounting his life with his father, and he's saying, the hired, the servants of my dad has more food than they can eat. They're pushing it away, and he is starving to death because no one's given him anything to eat. Verse 18, he says, I will set out, and I will go to my father's house, and I will say to him. And now he's going to rehearse 
and this is important, he's going to rehearse what he's going to say to his father when he comes back to his father's house. All right? And so he's going to come back to his father, and verse 19, uh, verse 18 and 19 gives us what he's going to say. He's going to come back to his father, and he's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he is willing at this point, he is willing just to go back into his father's house. He doesn't accept, to be, he, doesn't, he doesn't believe he's going to be accepted as a son. He's just willing to be a servant. That's all he's willing to be. And so he, he rehearses in his mind as he begins to prepare his way back and what he's going to say to his father. Verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a, what is it? Long way off, right? Far from God. As he was still far from God or a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And that word kiss doesn't mean if you've ever watched it on the news, when the folks in the Middle East greet each other, they don't handshake, they kiss each other's cheek. This is a different word. This means repeatedly. The father grabs him and repeatedly kisses him. And he's just holding on to him. And he repeatedly kisses him on, on, on his cheek, on his forehead, who knows where. All right, in verse 21. So the son said, remember 19, he was going to rehearse what he's going to say. Now watch what's missing. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What's missing from verse 18 and 19? Will you accept me to be your servant? He doesn't even have a chance. And here's why. The scholars believe that in order for someone to be a slave, you would have to kneel before them and request that you be their slave. The father doesn't let go of his son. He never has an opportunity to hit his knee and ask just to be a servant. His father embraces him. And he's kissing him repeatedly, and he's not letting go of him. Okay? And we'll get, we'll get to that. I mean, just visualize that, how that works in your life. Because many times people don't, don't think that God receives us that way. And yet here's this beautiful picture of grace where his son isn't even able to drop to his knees and say, can I at least be your servant? In fact, his father doesn't even say anything to him. But his actions tell us where his heart is. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, right? Not to his son. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Who do you think owned the best robe? The father. Did you know where the robe was going to be at? Not in the closet at the house. Around his father's shoulder. And so when he says, quick, grab the robe, they believe that he, what he meant was literally take the robe off of the father and place it onto his kid. He doesn't say, yeah, when you go into the walk-in closet, there's like a purple, a red, a gold, a blue one. It's going to be right in between that one. Grab that one right there, all right? And if not, just grab the gold one. Come on back. No, he's referring to the robe that's on his shoulders. And he says, quick, take it off and give him, give him the robe, the best robe. And then he goes on and he says, and put the ring on his finger. The ring would be the authority of the family. 
So they, they would have rings. We sign on the dotted line. In those days, if you were going to sign a legal paper, there, you would have a ring and there would be an imprint on that ring and you would, you would roll it in some type of, of, you know, soft something or other and it would leave an imprint of it, okay, clay or something. And so he instantly gives his son the authority of the family. Doesn't say, hey, as soon as you get right, as soon as you give me a promise, raise your right hand, get the Bible, tell me, you never, tell me you're sorry. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He instantly takes the best robe, puts it around him, puts the ring of authority on his family, uh, from his family on him, and then he puts sandals on his feet. Why sandals? If you were a slave, you had no sandals. Only free people wore, wore uh, sandals. Slaves would all be barefoot. And so he instantly embraces him to tell him, you're not a slave anymore. You've been set free. You've been given the full sonship of the family in which you, you live in. Verse 23, bring the fatted calf. What about the chicken? Why can't we have a goat? Why the fatted calf? The fatted calf was a way of saying that the party that we're going to have, it, it isn't about our family. Okay, if, if a kid like this was to leave in that culture, they, they would shun him. The whole community would shun him. He not only disrespected his family, he disrespected the whole clan and the whole people group. And so when this kid would walk into town, everybody in that community would be going, and they would all be talking. It's like, you know, watch him, see what he's going to do and all this other stuff. There would be a concern. And so the father wants to kill the fatted calf because he not only wants to celebrate his son being reconciled to him, but he wants to celebrate and have the whole community be reconciled to him. And so he wants to go out and he wants to kill the fatted calf and have this great big old barbecue and have a great time. And it goes on and it says, let us have a feast and celebrate, verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. And this is Jesus' way of painting a picture of how he, not only he, not only the son, but the spirit and the father sees lost people and how each of them has a role in our salvational experience and has a role in as a church when the word go comes or mission comes, what needs to play a part? That, that we need to recognize that Jesus rescues, that the Spirit reveals, and the, and the Father receives with grace. Number three. Just let me back up and just say this real quick. So there, there's a couple real good books on, um, I think it's called The Peasant of the Kingdom or something like that. And it talks about the cultural... Um, ideas of that culture that Jesus um, spoke into. And it's kind of a cool book to read. So like, for instance, the father ran. For a noble person to run in those days, that would be absolutely forbidden. In fact, Aristotle says a, a righteous or noble person never runs in public. Okay? So for the father to go over the banister and run to his son, that would have been totally unheard of. Then to take off his robe and expose his ankles, no way. You absolutely would not do that 
and the repeated kisses. And so there were several things in which Jesus tells the story that culturally speaking would have been absolutely, everyone there would have been going, no, there's no way he would ever do that. And the point being is that the religious leaders had had this idea of how God receives people. And Jesus was just blowing it completely out of the water. It was completely different. What they thought. Number three, the condition. So we have the condition as Jesus looks. He says they're weak, their lack of purpose, and lack of fulfillment in their life. And that's the, per- the person who is far from God. And then you have the nature, right? The nature of God. You, you have the nature, the, the rescuing, the revealing, the receiving of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the key part. Gives us a picture of what the church should be about when it comes to go or mission. Okay, now, get this, all right? In your outline. To receive, uh, or to rescue the people who are far from God. The church needs to be in the business to rescue people who are far from God. If we're going to do the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to rescue those who are far from God. The second one is, we've got to reveal the truth in, in what? In love. Right? We've got to reveal the truth in love. Okay? Now, now, as I say, you can be mad at the world, but the power comes in the word. Not the volume that you have. Right? So you just need to speak the truth in love and let that let the spirit of God work in the person's life. And then the last one in your outline is we got to receive them with grace. We got to receive them with grace. Now, the interesting thing about the father in the story. Now, you imagine if you've ever worked in a pig pen, if you ever been on a farm that even has pigs, they are the stinkiest creatures known to mankind. Right. And so you imagine this guy's been slopping pigs for we don't know how long. He's, he's wallowing in the mud with him and all the other things that go along with that. And he comes running, right? He comes back. His father pursues him. And so the father stops him midstream, says, son, stop. You first need to go take a shower and spray some of that body stuff on you. And after you get everything cleaned up and you get your life in order, then you can come and we'll have the conversation about whether I'll let you back in the family or not. Is that how he does it? Aren't you glad? I am. I am so glad that the Spirit of God touched my heart one day and said, Dan, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, I do. And God said, I'm going to receive you with all your faults, with all your hang-ups, with all your attitude, with everything you've done wrong. I'm going to receive you with grace. And the good news is, I'm not going to keep you the same, but I'm going to transform your life through my power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And as a church, as a church, listen, there ought to be a tension that we ought to be reaching people who are far from God And they're going to bring in crazy ideas, crazy lifestyles, crazy things. And we're all going to go, what do we do with that? You know what we do? We rescue, we reveal, right? And we receive. And we allow the power of God to work in and through their life to transform them into the person 
that God wants them to be. And there ought to be, in every church, there ought to be that tension that just kind of rubs us in the wrong way and we wrestle with it. Because if we're going to be about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we got to be willing to do what he modeled for us. Now let me show you a couple of verses and we're going to wrap this thing up. In John chapter 17, verse 18 says this. Jesus says, and as you sent me into the world, speaking to the Father, as you sent me into the, fa- uh, into the world, I have sent them. You know who the them is? You guys, right? Us. And I have sent them into the world. Okay? And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we looked at that passage several times. And there's the definition of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. All right? So here's what I want to do for today's message, and we're going to get ready to go. We're talking about go, so I want to just kind of profile a couple mission opportunities that we will have for you to at least be aware of, all right, on the go part. And let me just share this too, that as believers, we need to have all five of these in our life. That's a balanced follower of Christ. So we need to be community, we need to be growing spiritually, we need to be giving, we need to be serving, we need to go on mission with God. Right? We got that? Did I tell you guys I bought a vacuum for my wife? Has any guys got any spare rooms? I'm going to need some. So on your communication card, uh, on the back of it, there's uh, places there about some missions, all right? Some mission opportunities. And so it says mission trips, and you just let me throw out these, it, all the information's in, in, your, in your program. So we have a Cambodia trip that uh, Don Dale Moyer is heading up. He's also the one that headed up the one for Nicaragua, which he'll do. And that one's coming up pretty soon. He just threw that at me the other day. And that's a May 7th. So if you're interested in going with him and a group of guys to Cambodia, you can just check that. doesn't mean you commit to or if you just want information, you want to talk more about it with him, uh, you can check that box, all right? And then you have the Nicaragua trip. That's going to be September 26th through October 4th. And that's going to be the same uh, mission trip that we took last year. Many of you guys went, which was great. So if you're interested in knowing more about that, you can just check it. This doesn't commit you to it. It just puts you on the list to get more information. And then you have the area of where it says Stockton. That's going to be, uh, we're going to get more information today when we meet with them. But it's going to be probably a Saturday. There's a ministry um, through our state office. It's called Feed Those Who Feed Us. And so that when the migrant workers come through the end of uh, summer, uh, we'll go into Stockton area, Patterson area, and we'll do like a Saturday vacation Bible school and hand out stuff and minister to those families who are coming through. So if you're interested in something like that, you can check that. That will be just a Saturday. So we'll leave Saturday morning, come back Saturday evening and be a part of it. Also in, your, your, um, in, in the announcements, um, Bob and, the, and some of the men's group uh, does the Feed Those Who Feed Us. That's an ongoing mission. Once a month, they go to the park in Antioch and feed those who are, who are having a difficult time and share with them uh, the word of God with them. And so if you're interested in something like that, you can also be a part of that, and there's a sign-up sheet on the, way, on the way out. So here's the goal, right? Here's the goal. Some of you want to go overseas? Go for it. You got the means to do it? Head on. Go for Jesus, right? But maybe you can't. Maybe you can only go to Stockton, or maybe you can only share uh, as we go into Antioch area and feed those who are having a difficult time. But be a part of giving, be a part of rescuing, be a part of revealing, be a part of receiving those who are far from God. 
And that's a challenge for us because we get in our life nice little comfort zone, right? And we just want to stay comfort, comfortable. And I think sometimes God wants to give us a little push to get us out of that. And I think when you do, you see God's hand at work, which is always amazing and incredible, all right? Now, the next series, this danger zone, is going to be a great series to invite people who are far from God because we're going to be dealing with stuff that, that many people wrestle with. And so you can start praying about that. All right, we're going to show a, a quick little uh, pictures of the Nicaragua trip. And the worship team is going to go ahead and make their way up. First service, they were not. And I was up here all by myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to sing for you guys. So here we go. So, uh, so we're anywhere. Dim down the house lights and we'll watch the pictures. 